from Local 12 Sports. It's the Skinny Podcast. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Brewing. As always, it's presented by Blake, the attorney, Mazelin. We got a lot of local topics of sports to talk about. Uh, we got some gambling to talk about, and we got my favorite portion of the podcast where you can ask me a question on anything. Go to the Xverse and hit up the hashtag AskSkinnyAnything. Rick, uh, another week plugging along. The Reds have been officially eliminated, and we're already a, a series deep into the Major League Baseball playoffs, but We've got lots more to talk about in addition to that. Yeah, we do. We'll start off with the Bengals. They were embarrassed by the Titans last Sunday, 27-3, to the final score in that game. Joe Burrow was bad. The offense was bad. The defense was bad. Uh, everybody wants to play the blame game this week. So let's start here, Skinny. How bad of a look was that game for the coaching staff? See, I, I don't think it's on the coaching staff. I, I don't. I, I think it's on Joe Burrow's calf, and I think it's on individual defensive players. I, I think that's part of the issue. Um, you know, DJ Reader talking to him after the game said some guys don't want to tackle. That's a bad thing to hear. Uh, you know, we talked to Lou Anarumo Monday. That question was brought up to him. He said he didn't see that on film, but he did address 12 missed tackles, uh, some missed run fits, and and – Talking to Logan Wilson yesterday on Wednesday, he seemed to think it's all very fixable, and it probably is, but I thought it was a bad look for the players more than anything else. I know everybody wants to point the finger at schematics and coaching and all those things. We're going to get into the Joe Burrow issues here in just a second, but no, I, I thought that was that was a player's loss, to be quite frank. Yeah, so, I mean, just for a second, because I'm kind of in the same boat as you, quite honestly. I think it's a little bit crazy how quickly people are throwing out what this staff did the last two seasons with a franchise that had been dead for a couple of decades. I mean, it's pretty crazy to say this coaching staff took the Bengals to the Super Bowl and the AFC Championship in back-to-back years, but they're not good enough and they don't know what they're doing. So let me start with that. But I will say, I mean, there are a lot of people who are talking about the play calling and and the coaching. So I guess, is it is it reasonable to potentially think that the success of the last two years was all Joe Burrow being amazing. And the second that he's not at that elite level, it, all the, the house of cards comes crumbling down. I think you can say that about any elite quarterback in this league. I mean, that's just what makes them elite is they are difference makers for goodness sakes. You are expecting to make magical plays. And, and a lot of those are done with guys creating and improvising with their feet. Joe Burrow can't do that right now. He's a sitting duck in the pocket. Um, you know, they're trying to game plan and call plays with that calf in mind. And that's why he has the lowest rate of any quarterback and whatever it is for yards per attempt of, for a quarterback who's attempted over 150 passes in the first four games. It's why um, he's two for 22 throwing the ball 15 yards or longer because he just can't complete those passes at the moment. That's on him. And so just fast forward a little bit, Rick, I'm writing a column, uh, we're doing this on Thursday, of, hey, it's time for, for Joe Burrow and for the coaching staff to stop worrying about the calf or simply sit him. Either he plays the game the way he has to play it, the way he has played it, or it's not worth keep running him out there and letting him try to play offense the way they're trying to play it. It's completely ineffective. Yeah, so, I mean, we can just get into that decision. Obviously, everyone's talking about the should Burrow sit, should Burrow play debate this week. And I said last week, I thought it was crazy that people were willing to punt on the season because I think basically this decision boils down to two things. Does Joe Burrow give you the best chance to win? I think that is unequivocally. Yes. No, I I think that's not not in the current, not in his current state, not in his current state. Now, now he said yesterday on Wednesday, I'm feeling better. It's the best I felt after a game. And maybe it is 
We're going to see improved health this week that's going to allow him to do that. But the Joe Burrow we saw this past week sitting in the pocket, the, the one scramble where he scrambled and slid after a yard, that's not Joe Burrow. And that's why this offense sucks at the moment. You're playing with a handicapped quarterback. I, I don't disagree with that. I still think, and you can point to the the debate about should they have invested more in a backup quarterback in the preseason when they were seeing how bad Jake Browning and Trevor Simeon look. I think that's a, a reasonable argument, but we've seen what Jake Browning has. And, and the pre, this guy does not inspire any confidence that he's going to be able to go out and win you a game when Don't it matters teammates. most. And I that's sure as hell... Teammates say. That's not what I, teammates say. That's I not what do T. Not, Higgins told us. That's not what Jamar I, Chase told us. I do not care. Do you really believe that? You really I think do. Jake Browning is a better option than Joe Burrow? Just from a mental standpoint, you really think even Joe with with his limited leg usage is a is a worse option than Jake Browning or A.J. McCarron, who's been back for a week? I, I, I do. Now, again, I'm, I'm hoping this week this is enough. Like he said, he feels healthy and they're going to cut him loose. And that's the point of my column is if you're going to play him, then, then he can't worry about the calf. He has to scramble. He has to move in the pocket. You have to allow him to step up into the pocket. He's retreating in the pocket at the moment. Yeah. And to your point, Rick, uh, could Jake Browning get you at least a field goal? I Sure. He can probably get you more than that because at least you have the threat of him bootlegging. You have the threat of him dropping back. You don't have him standing in the shotgun, taking a snap, standing there, and everybody's covered because they don't they – don't, worry about you going down the field and so by the time burrow gets to progression number two he's a dead duck in the pocket because he can't move you tell me that's a good option it, it's not and it's it showcased itself in every ugly way on sunday no i don't think it's a good option i think it's better than jake browning that's what i think mm. i just quite frankly i just don't trust jake browning in a a winner the season is over moment to go out and get you a win i don't care who they're playing against i certainly felt that way two weeks ago i felt that i mean that's the other thing they were coming off a win in which they started to look better. So the people are doing this revisionist history of like, why is Joe out there? Well, because they had just won a game with him out there and he was looking better. Why would you not have him out there again? The the, the question. So then um, here's the question then, and this is the part that, that's hard because all they're doing is taking Joe's word for it. And that starts to piss me off a little bit too. I, I mean, did he, did he, after the Rams game, was it sore to the point where he, you know, he did practice in full on Thursday. It was the only practice they had other than walkthroughs. You know, how compromised was he? Maybe he wasn't as compromised on that Monday night and felt better. We saw him have one that one bootleg pass to Jamar Chase that looked pretty good. Um, so maybe he did have a bit of a setback. And that's where there's just there's no transparency with this at the moment. And I understand it. You're, you're, you're not going to keep saying my quarterback's hurt. Right. But you could sure as hell tell after the first drive, Tennessee went, huh, he ain't moving at all. Go get him. Well, and, and I think, you know, from the standpoint of there needs to be the adult in the room or someone to stand up to Joe, what the hell were they doing playing him with 10 minutes or five minutes left to go in that game like they want to play? I mean, th- that, yeah, but that that is where it gets crazy. And it's Agreed. like, OK, that's on the coaching staff. There's no reason, regardless of our debate right here, of whether you think he gives them the best chance to win or not. You weren't winning that game with 10 minutes to go. And, no. and certainly not after, you know, four minutes into that drive when you still weren't past midfield and he was still out there. That is when I I don't understand why they didn't take him off the field. But and, and Rick, if you go back and look, I mean, he got his he got ear hold on a late sack. And yeah. the thing that was really telling to me and wondering where he is physically, he couldn't outrun Ted Karras. I mean, he honestly could not outrun Ted Karras. You mentioned the play earlier where he slid after a yard on the scramble. Yeah. That play that you just mentioned now, where he runs into Ted Karras as there's like nothing but green space ahead of him. And he runs into Ted Karras and then kind of stumbles forward. That was 
telling, very telling about where he's at physically right now. So, I mean, we said, we were talking about, does Joe give you the best chance to win or not? I think that's a big part of the equation. And to me, the answer to that is definitely yes. And even if you disagree, I think the coaching staff clearly thinks he gives them the best chance to win because they keep running him out there. If you cut him loose, if you just stop pussyfooting around this thing and say, listen, I know we're trying not to re-aggravate it, re-injure it. Let's stop playing that game. Either he's, if he's out there, he's playing the game the way he has to play it. And if he's unable to do that, then he sits. Yeah. And regardless of whether that's from a play calling standpoint or uh, what Joe is capable of standpoint in terms of him being a sitting duck back there, I think you need to take that into consideration right now, because I'm not so sure, even if you're calling those plays and letting him cut loose, that he's not going to be a sitting duck. And that's what concerns me more than anything. Even if I think he gives you the best chance to win, I do think you have to take into consideration, are we setting this guy up to get knocked out of the season again and get re-injured? And how many serious injuries can Joe Burrow have right. before he's just not the same guy anymore? That's that's the real conversation I'd be having if I was in uh, Paycor Stadium right now. Yeah, I do. I do wonder too. And you go back to how he played on the Monday night. It wasn't great, but it certainly was winning football. He didn't turn. You know, he played winning football that night. And I do wonder if they got lulled into a, a false sense of okay, this is not going to be high powered. This is not going to be spectacular. But look at our schedule. We can muddle through this and win a bunch of 19, 16 games because our defense showed some life on that Monday night. And then the defense takes a big step back in the Tennessee game, and now suddenly it's. Maybe we can't win games like that. And so I, I'm I'm super interested to see what transpires this Sunday and what this thing looks like, because this either has a ray of hope to it or a complete doom and gloom to it um, scenario for me. One more thing on, on Burrow. Was it a strange question to ask if he was going to play? <laughs> that was a great question, actually. Um, I, I It's funny. I, I read my friend Paul Daner's piece off of it, my piece off of it. We basically said the same thing. We kind of set that question up you know, in, in our writing. And after I, I used that quote, I said, that's not a strange question at all because, and I rolled out every ugly, that's what Joe, Paul's like, he's like, at that point, you just roll out every ugly Burrow stat that's out there at the moment and it fits the narrative. So uh, I think that was clearly Zach wanting to tell everybody, sorry guys, he's my guy, come hell or high water. We're all going to have to live with it. That's why but, he said, that's a strange question. I mean, okay, but if that's the case, I was wondering, it's, I was thinking it was either that or he had something personal against the person who asked the question. No, it was Kelsey Conway. No. Okay. No. So if it's not a personal thing against the reporter and he was just trying to and he's prove good about that. He's, that. he's not a grudge guy. I mean, he, he'll have his battles with, with us on occasion, but, but he, yeah, he, he's not a grudge guy. Okay. So fair enough. So if he was just trying to get the message across that Joe Burrow is my guy and I have his back, that's silly. No one thinks otherwise in this scenario. We're not saying you should bench Joe Burrow because he sucks and he's not good enough. We're saying, should you not play him because of the situation with his calf and the potential health ramifications of that? I mean, you're just being over defensive at that point. If you're Zach Taylor. And I I agree with that. Yeah. All right. Uh, What the hell is wrong with the defense skinny? You brought that up. That has been a mainstay for this team the last two years, even when the offense has had their moments of ups and downs and uh, the defense has been pretty consistent under Lou Anarumo, and they had a lot of guys coming back this year on that defense. Does the absence of Von Bell and Jesse Bates just screw everything up, or what's going on? No, that, that that's an easy narrative for sure, and I don't think Nick Scott's played very well, so there's that as well. But, I mean, li- listen, if, Von, if, if, if you're counting on Von Bell and Jesse Bates to stop the run, you got some real problems, right? So right. That, that, that part we have to take out of the equation. Now, I will say there's been some big plays hit down the field, some chunk plays that have been issues. 
I'll be honest with you. The, the guy who's the most disappointing to me on defense, if I was, I, I'll let you go first, but I've got a guy to me who's been the clearly most disappointing player on defense so far. To me, it's Jermaine Pratt. Dead on. Dead on. I, where is and, and I think, well, that's what you wonder. He got paid. And it was at him going, I got paid. I'm good. And that's what it feels like. You know, he wanted to be a three-down linebacker. Well, you know, the whole question mark of why do they keep hitting passes in the middle of the field? Well, that's where the linebacker's supposed to drop. And some of that's on Logan Wilson, too. But we also saw Logan Wilson drop in the Rams game and come away with a couple interceptions. Yeah. Jermaine Pratt had a bunch of missed tackles on, on Sunday. In fact, the one against Derrick Henry on the touchdown run, it looked like me trying to tackle Derrick Henry, for goodness sakes. Um, you know, talking about run fits. Again, the DJ Reader comments to me are damning. That's a teammate saying some guys don't want to tackle. And he didn't name names. Um, but I think I know who he's alluding to. And I, I guess that's the danger of doing that, of, of not naming names, because it, it, it leaves everybody open to question at that point. Right. And I get Lou not rolling a guy under the bus, but of course he did address, you know, Hey, we, we had 12 missed tackles. We've never had that many and that can't continue. And it can't. And honestly, this is kind of a four game thing. I know we want to point to the three games where teams rush for 170 plus yards. I mean, even the Rams rushed for five yards per, I mean, they, they even had some, some quality where they just didn't run it very much. So it has to change right now. And that's where I asked Logan Wilson, um, you know, is this fixable? And he said, it's 1000% fixable. It's on us. And he said, we need to take a long look in the mirror, who we are, who we've been and get back to doing that. And so again, we talk about the interesting part of watching what Joe Burrow looks like on Sunday. I think what this run defense looks like against a team that's averaging over five yards per rush is interesting because if it, if it happens again, then I don't know if it is fixable at this point. Yeah, and that that's where you get concerned, and maybe this goes back into the coaching stuff a little bit. Like, if we're talking about uh, the, the offensive play calling in Joe Burrow, that's a whole equation that's tough to sort out right now. But if there's a mentality on defense to where these guys aren't tackling, and yet the last two years there were no problem with the same guys tackling. Right. And if we're talking about the other thing that's driv- driven me nuts through some of these games is the penalties, Skinny. What's yeah. going on with some of these pre That has been a thing that Zach Taylor's teams – have it was the best part of going going from Marvin to Zach Taylor is they eliminate all the dumb stuff, the all the so, pre-snap penalties, all the stuff that made them look poorly coached. That's crept back in all of a sudden. It feels very it, Marvin-esque. It is funny, Rick. And and so I wrote um I, I do a thing on Tuesday with like three different takeaways from talking to guys on a Monday, and one of them was about costly penalties. And I was exactly gonna write about all the penalties they've had. You know, they're the sixth least penalized team in the NFL. I, I honestly didn't realize that. It didn't feel like it. But the penalties they've had have been costly. That's the difference there. The, the, the third and one that turns into third and 11 because of back-to-back false starts. The Dax Hill penalty where he rips a guy's helmet off and gets an unnecessary roughness and they should have been off the field. Instead, they use 10 minutes off the clock and they basically say, you're done. That's that's the thing. It used to be okay. They'd get some penalties, but it was within in between the whistles. It was yeah. something where okay, it's pass interference or whatever. You know, like that happens as as you're playing. Now all of a sudden they're getting these pre and post snap silly penalties that are really killing them, and that is something that they just haven't had the last few years. Yeah, and, and that's where it's been a different guy. And so I I would say that part's probably correctable. When it's an individual, if it's the same guy, you got to yank the same guy, right? But if it's a different guy on. Like the false starts in the Rams game was three, literally three different guys. It was Tyler Boyd, who I don't even know how many times I've ever heard Tyler Boyd get called for, you know, illegal procedure, illegal motion. Joe Mixon, who I'm not sure I've ever heard, and Orlando Brown and left tackles occasionally move, but they've all been really costly. And I think part of it too, Rick, is 
The narrative is there because the margin for error is so slim that any one of these penalties, I mean, Jermaine Pratt had the defensive uh, holding penalty that wiped out DJ Reader's sack. And instead of them kicking a field goal, which it wouldn't have mattered anyway, but still, instead of them kicking a field goal, they keep the drive alive and they score a touchdown. And so it feels like everyone is magnified because they have zero margin for error on any of this stuff at the moment. Well, that's the thing. And when you, you add that on top of like, okay, yeah, it's a different guy every time. Right. But Maybe that's just a little bit of a mentality and how sharp Maybe. and how ready you are. Right. And if you're saying on defense, yeah, it's it's different guys, but we're all just missing tackles. Well, that seems like a mentality and a sharpness. Yeah. Where that's a little concerning to me. All of a sudden, I haven't seen that the last two years. And and again, I'm I would be mostly on your side of this. Of I'm not here to point fingers at the coaching staff. I think the last two years gives them a pass more or less. But there are some concerning things, sure. and I don't understand what. I guess the frustrating part from a fan's perspective is it feels like there's not an answer to any of these things. Right? No, and that you're right. That's the, I think that's the, that's the disheartening part. Right. And, and because I, I do think it all starts and stops with the health of Joe Burrow. And we don't know when it's going to look right because it really hasn't. I mean, maybe the second half of Baltimore and then voila, he tweaks it again. So, and I think that's the other thing you're holding your breath on. Even if he starts to feel right is when does he hurt it again? When did he tweak it again? Also, is this just like, <laughs> the most outrageous muscle tear ever or something. Cause like, it seems like we're way past the point of a calf strain still bothering someone. This thing has lingered forever. Yeah. I I know Paul Daner's done a a, a thing with a doctor in Massachusetts and and she kind of predicted this when he came back to play, even in week one, that it's not a matter of when it's, it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when he, he tweaks this again, because she thought he came back too quickly from it. So here we are. And, Really, honestly, we're only two weeks removed, well, two weeks plus, two and a half weeks now from him tweaking it in the Baltimore game. So, you know, he sat out a full month the first time he tweaked it, and he hasn't sat out any since this. So I I hope it isn't a matter of when again. If it's a matter of, again, somehow get this damn thing to the bye week, you steal two wins here at the end of this with a winnable road game and then a home game, and he gets a full week plus to rest that thing up and then, you know, come out of the bye, and you have finally a fully healthy Joe Burrow. Um, I think that's the best you could hope for at the moment. Are you buying the narrative he was trying to sell this week of he's he's feeling better than he has? I am because just watching him for a little bit, we only get the first 30 minutes of practice, and it's usually just guys stretching in some position drills. He was doing some stuff mobility-wise on Wednesday, um, again, just in, in drills, no rush or anything, but he was trying to move around and make make plants and throws and all of those things. So I, I And he said that's what he's trying to incorporate a little bit more each day this week to see how it feels. So I am buying it, but again, I don't know when a setback might come, and it could come today, it could come – it could come in a walkthrough. It could come during the game on Sunday. And that's where I just – that's why I'm at the stage again. If you're going to run him out there, to hell with worrying about this thing anymore. And for him too, brother, I know it probably hurts. If, if it does, then too bad, then you don't play. And if not, then you play through it and let's go. Because I think you're at the stage of he either plays and plays the way he's uh, capable of playing, if you will. And I mean from being able to do everything, move around, run, scramble, bootleg, all that stuff, improvise, extend plays. Um, and if not, that's where I go back to, if it's not going to happen that way, just sit him. It's, it's not worth it. Yeah. I'm, I'm not punting on the season yet. I still think there's a chance that this team could turn it around. I don't think they're as far away as everyone else does right now, but at the same time, I'd much rather punt on this season than have to go through another Joe Burrow, serious injury, surgery, rehab, that type of thing in the off season. So uh, I I'm kind of with you in the regard of if, if you really don't think he can do it, or you think you're opening him up to too many hits and, and potentially re-injuring him because he's a sitting duck back there. 
then you probably should sit them. One last question, all of this. Are the Cardinals really as bad as everyone keeps saying? Because I, yes. I keep hearing uh, yes. it, Joe Burrow doesn't need to play. Jake Browning should be able to beat them. But, I mean, they beat the Cowboys. They've played some other teams pretty tough. Are they really that bad? Yes, they're really that bad. They, they are truly, really that bad. I will say they, they've run the ball very well. Josh Dobbs is completing a high percentage of his passes. He's not thrown an interception, so he's playing mistake-free, but their defense is trash. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not in the, in the camp that you 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 throw this game away because you think Jake Browning can win it. I'm in the camp again. I want to be clear on this. It's either you play Joe Burrow the way Joe Burrow has to play quarterback or you don't. That's where I'm at with this. It's not a matter of throwing this game away or it's an easy opponent. Let's go. No, no. It's either Joe Burrow can play at Joe Burrow level or he can't. Which one is it? I actually agree with that. I think we just disagree on the part of yeah. whether Jake Browning gives you a better chance to win well, right now or we, not, regardless. Yeah, back to the earlier question you asked, and it's certainly a valid question. Everybody asked it after the game. It was asked of Joe. It was asked of of, of Zach. I mean, what a better – it's 27-3. to three. You need three touchdowns and three two-point conversions a tie. You're not coming back at that point. What a nice time to give Jake Browning a couple meaningful drives to see what the kids got. That's what I – I tweeted that at the time. I didn't understand. We have all these questions about – I mean, can Jake Browning even handle this at all? We have no idea. Right. We've never seen him in a real game. Why would you not put him in right there with 10 minutes to go to try to lead a sort of almost meaningful drive against a, a starting defensive unit? I don't exactly. understand that. Exactly. But all right, let's move on. The Reds, they finished their season with a winning record at 82 and 80. They, of course, fell short of the last wild card spot and missed the playoffs. But Skinny, I want you to describe this Red season in a word or two for me. Uh, absolute fun. I, I, it was it was it was so much fun um, because of some of the individual things that we got a chance to see uh, the unicorn like, you know, Ellie De La Cruz doing crazy stuff. You got to see Andrew Abbott come up and pitch. You got to see Graham Ashcraft take a huge step forward, in my opinion. Um, and they hung in there till literally the last weekend on a team with I think the one night they started five or six rookies again and, and their best rookie, in my opinion. Uh, and I guess Spencer Steer is probably the best rookie because he still qualifies as one. But the best rookie, in my opinion, Matt McClain didn't play down the stretch. And maybe he might have made a difference. So there's just so many good pieces to look forward to. You know, last offseason, it was, well, yeah, all these guys in the minors, when are they going to come up? When's it going to be their turn? It'll be a couple of years. And voila, all of them blossomed before our eyes. And, yeah, there's still some hiccups along the way with some of those guys. But I saw way more good out of those young guys than I saw bad. I know there was a regression of Ellie, but – then he blasts two home runs on that Friday night, and you're like, all right, that's kind of a little way to pop yourself into the offseason perhaps. So I just thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I would have said surprisingly fun. Yeah. I went yeah. into this season thinking it was going to be about as bad of a baseball season as we could possibly have in Cincinnati. And lo and behold, it was great. I would also just throw in a, a little pinch of what if there because of all yeah, the injuries sure. to key guys. I mean, you have McLean, you have Ashcraft, you have the Lodolo. If you just have even one of those guys, is it enough? down the stretch to get well, you over the hump and into the playoffs. That would have been cool to see this team get that opportunity. But now the the real question is, what are fair expectations for this team going into next year? I think playoffs. I think you add to, whatever pieces right? you need. I think you invest in the bullpen. Um, I don't even know if you need to go invest in a bat. I, I really do. I know that's going to probably send people over the edge, but I'm trying to fit a bat. I like Will Benson. I like TJ Friddle. I like Jake Fraley. Um, I like CES. I like, Noelle Marte. I love Ellie De La Cruz. I love Matt McClain. I still, you know, I'm, I'm throwing all this out and I'm wondering where Jonathan India fits into that equation. A guy like that. Um, you know, I'm worrying about, do you bring Luke Maley back as a nice backup catcher? Where do you do that? I'm worried about that kind of stuff. And then for sure, go invest in the bullpen. I think that's the part to me is add some more bullpen arms, especially because you got all these kids, even look, even if Hunter stays healthy, let's just say 
in a perfect world next year, and this is not going to happen. But Hunter starts every game. Lodolo starts every game. Ashcraft starts every game. Uh, Abbott starts every game. Williamson starts every game. You're still, these kids are still only going to be 180 to 185 inning guys at most. They're going to be five or six inning guys at most. So you're going to have to have guys who are going to get you, what, nine, 10, 11, 12 outs on some nights you're winning games. And um, some of these guys did okay and probably did above their baseball card, but I want a few more legitimate arms in that bullpen. And I think it, unfortunately for Alexis Diaz, he, he was awful down the stretch. And I think a lot of it was he just wore out. Yeah, I mean, they, they used him all season long. They were relying on that guy. They so let him in wins. Yeah. He let him in wins with nine. Yeah. Uh, I think if this team doesn't make the playoffs next year, it's fair to say that the front office and or the coaching staff failed at that point. Next year has to be a playoff. Yeah, year, right? or the only, yeah, my only other thing would be if any of these kids take major regression, and I just don't see that happening. I mean, it does happen. We've seen it. We always worry about the sophomore slump and all of those things, but – I don't know. I'm expecting Elliot to take a giant step forward. I'm expecting CES to take a giant step forward. I think Noelve Marte might be the best pure guy of the whole bunch, um, for goodness sakes. And I love everything Matt McClain does, so I don't expect that. But that's my only be my only caveat if some of these kids take a step backwards that you're counting on and should be counting on. But you probably need multiple of them to take yeah. steps backwards, quite honestly. I mean, because what they did this year was almost right there on the cusp and that's with all the injuries it's like if these guys are basically the same as they were this year i think you're a playoff team next year because you got to be looking to add like you talked about help some bullpen potentially maybe even look at another starter i don't know if you need a bat or not but i'm sure it's something they'll be considering and looking at the different options that are out there so with a little bit more help if these guys play to to the same expectation they had this year you should be a playoff team next year. And I'm with you. I think at least one or more of them should make a huge jump. I think McLean is solidified. I, I have no questions about him. I think he's I think Marte is too. I love Marte. I haven't seen enough from him yet, but he has me excited for certain. I, CES certainly has me excited, but it feels like there's a bit more uh, ceiling floor area there, right? A little bit more room between those two. He could still take a bigger dip. And obviously, Ellie, we know it's, uh, it's pretty feast or famine right now. He can be unbelievable at times, and we also saw – where he's going to struggle and where he has to improve. So there are question marks for certain with those young guys, but I also think a couple of them are already pretty much at that level. And it'd be pretty surprising if they really had much of a regression, you'd expect them to only get better. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. I, I, that's where, again, I, it would have to be major, major regression. That's what it would have to be. Yeah. All right, Skinny, anything else on the Reds or the Major League Post? Are you going to be watching the playoffs? For me, I'm. this is the first Red season in a while that I've watched the entire regular season of. I was kind of tired by the end of it. I'm like, I'm done with baseball. I think I'm good. I'm glad they didn't. I mean, I wanted them to make it, but since they're not, I'm glad I don't have to watch anything else. I don't think I'll see a game of the playoffs. Uh, I, I, I watched the, 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 the series and maybe it's because I was working from home uh, one of those days, Tuesday, I was home most of the day. And so I watched a chunk of that, but yeah, the, 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 the sweeps were quite kind of interesting to me. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing the Dodgers play and the Braves play and, and see where this all sorts itself out when push comes to shove. And the Orioles are fun to watch too. So I will say this, my, my one thing for Reds fans would be this. I do think the division next year is going to be much, much tougher. Milwaukee, I don't think it's going anywhere. The Pirates are going to be significantly better, in my opinion. I mean, honestly, the worst team in the division is going to be the Cardinals, at least on paper. Um, And, you know, they'll figure out a way to try to make things right or at least make things more competitive. So, yeah, I I, I honestly don't don't, – that's my little fear of the division is going to be a little bit tougher. Now, the flip side of that is – you don't play as many division opponents like you used to, right? Because they've tried to balance out the schedule. So maybe that's a good thing. And you go beat up on other divisions. Yeah. 
I, I agree with you there. I do think the division is going to be better. That concerns me a little bit, but that's why I say I'm not I'm not going any farther than that. But this team should be a playoff team next year. I think that's a fair mm-hmm. expectation. I think it's a completely fair expectation. All right. College football roundup. We'll start with your Kentucky Wildcats. They hammered. That's, by the way, number 20th in the country, Kentucky Wildcats. Hammered Florida 33-14. to 14. They've got number one Georgia coming up next. But first, let's talk about the good. I mean, Skinny, Ray Davis put on an absolute show in this game. 280 yards, three touchdowns. He caught a fourth. Third most rushing yards ever by a Kentucky player. And he had over 200 in the first half. Yeah, so I, uh, my a buddy of mine and I went to, uh, he went to Nashville as a fan, but on the way down, we played golf at a course down in Kentucky Park Mammoth, and uh, our tee time was kind of right in the middle of the game, but I had the CBS Sports app up, I had other people texting me, and I look down, I see seven and nothing, I'm like, okay, fine, start, and then I or see three to nothing, I see ten nothing, then I saw sixteen nothing, and saw Ray Davis with a 75-yard TD run, and I'm with you, I'm like, about halftime came along and it was 23 seven. Like, what has he gotten this first? He's got, like, he's got to have over 100 yards. And I looked and went, holy cow, he's got 206. My goodness gracious. And that was a Florida defense that came in one of the tops in the country at stopping the run. Now, keep in mind, they had also played Charlotte, a Tennessee team that really relies more on the pass than the run. Um, another bye game early on. And then Utah, which because of they don't have their quarterback, Cam Rising, is kind of offensively challenged. So I think there's a little caveat to that. But uh, that was a heck of a performance for sure. And I think we've talked about this with Ray Davis. You go back to those first few games where I said, boy, I wish they'd have leaned on the run more. But I also said, you know, maybe they're trying to take some carries off of him. And when they need him is when they're going to turn and give him the ball. And they sure did that in that game. Well, you also brought up the fact that maybe they were being a little bit vanilla and not showing all of their run packages through those first few games. Liam Cohen said as much after this game, basically. He said, we've been holding some of that stuff back for the real meat of our SEC schedule, and holy smokes, did it work. I mean, that Ray Davis is in the Heisman conversation right now, legitimately after that performance. I mean, he's not going to win it because running backs don't win the Heisman, but he's he's in the conversation right now for certain. I mean, he he gets a chance to showcase himself against the number one team in the country. Now, he could also get it stuck right up his rear end and go 15 for 43 because that's what Georgia does. Although Georgia's run defense – Hasn't been its usual dominant self uh, th- this season. And it's it's weird. I think the thing that would give you hope, I, I again, it's a big ass to go there and win, obviously. And if they did, it would be a monumental upset. There were two touchdown underdog, and rightfully so, for goodness sakes. But, you know, Ray Davis runs wild, and Devin Leary doesn't have a very good game. I mean, they haven't put all of this together, it feels like, yet. And it feels like they have the potential to do that. Well, that and they dominated Florida. Wow, yeah, not right. necessarily playing like, unbelievably well or anything it it just felt like Florida had no chance in that game so a couple of takeaways for me was one like Ray Davis is insanely good obviously but two this Kentucky team is better than we've been getting giving them credit for the last few weeks we've been talking about some of the sloppiness some of the miscommunications between Leary and his receivers and I'm like this team should look better even though they're winning these games by 25 30 points whatever it is well we finally saw I mean like okay well you're doing that to Florida you're winning by multiple touchdowns against Florida that's a different story. And regardless of whether there are still some sloppy moments and it still looks like you could get better, you're not winning real games and you're winning them convincingly. I think the the upside for this Kentucky team is, is more than I thought a few weeks ago and, and more before this game even. Now, the question is for this this Georgia matchup, obviously it's at Georgia. It's a 7 p.m. game. It's at that's, yeah. that's impossible just right there. They're not, they don't lose at home very often at night. But also – Barry and Brown and Tavian Robinson, two of the the star receivers for this Kentucky team, were both injured in that Georgia game. Having, it sounds like they're probably not going to have both. They may have one or the other. Right. And 
he might be hobbled if he does play. So that is going to to be a major albatross, I think. Yeah, I, I will say the defense has played very well, and and you're gonna have to hang your hat on that, and probably hang your hat on the running game and, and whatever you can get out of the passing game you get, you know, maybe you go more multiple tight end sets. They got 5,000 tight ends that they <laughs> like. So maybe you do that for goodness sakes and play old fashioned. I, I hate it because I, I feels like every time they've played Georgia, when you've had a chance, they've gotten ultra conservative and played kind of not to lose and to keep it close. But maybe this is a time that you are capable of keeping it close and making it a one possession game in the fourth quarter and, and taking your chances that way. Would this be the biggest win ever for Kentucky football? In my lifetime, yeah. I mean, I, mean, I know the 2007 they, LSU game is right yeah, now that, like the game, right? Yeah, where they stoned the guy on on uh, in, in overtime to uh, to to end it on fourth and one, uh, and, and LSU was, I believe, they were number one in the country. Number one, yeah, yeah number one, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, yes, clearly because I think that the thing for that Kentucky team, they had already lost a game or two, and so it wasn't like they kept um, kept alive national title aspirations. I mean, literally, you beat Georgia. You jump into the national title conversation. Now there's a lot left to go ahead. I mean, you still got Alabama to play, you still got Tennessee to play, you still got you know rivalry with Louisville to play. You still got to go to South Carolina and play. You still got Missouri to play. I mean, there's nothing easy down the stretch. But you know, you win this game, you vault into the conversation, right or wrong. I would love to see them do it. It would make the rest of the season so much fun for Kentucky football and make it fun to talk about on this podcast. I'd love to see them do it. I don't like their chances to do it, but it would be it would be fun. Uh, skinny BYU beat Cincinnati 35, 27. The Bearcats have a bye this week. UC outgained the Cougars 498 yards to 295 yards. They had 242 yards on the ground compared to just 70 for BYU. And yet they lose, lose this game by eight points. Uh, what was kind of your takeaway after watching that one? That this team should be four and one instead of two and three. I mean, it really should be. It dominated Miami. It dominated BYU and it found ways to lose. And I'm sorry, I I know I, I get in this conversation with my friend Dan Horde about Emory Jones all the time. There's 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 either a, a key third down incompletion or like this case he throws a pick six. He does some really special things, and he does some things that cost you games. To be quite frank, and I guess yeah. there's maybe there's not another a, a better option on the roster, but he has to be better. Yeah, I mean, UC had two turnovers that basically cost them this game. One was the pick six on the first drive that you were talking about. And uh, they also had some dumb penalties, too, that didn't help them, just like we were talking about with the Bengals. I would just be so frustrated as a UC fan right now because it felt like watching that game, UC was clearly the more talented team. And yet you're looking at a a multiple-score deficit in the second half, and also you give up that touchdown right before the end of the half. Their offense hadn't moved the ball at all. They had like 30 total yards the entire half. And then you give up a touchdown in a minute at the end of the half. Like that, those are the types of things that would just drive me crazy as a fan right now. And and watching that first half defensive performance after the way they played against Oklahoma, you're like, all right, this is the unit that we thought it was going to be when the year started. This is a really good group that's going to keep them in a bunch of games. And then they just got their eyes gouged out for the last two quarters plus. Yeah. I mean, Skinny, from the fans' perspective, do you – the way they looked more talented and it feels like they could be winning these games, including the one against BYU last week. Does that make you feel better or worse as a Bearcats fan right now? I think better because when you look across the landscape of that league now, I, I think the Iowa state game is more than winnable. I think the Baylor game is more than winnable. Um, the Houston game is certainly winnable. Um, I may, I'm drawing a blank on another one. I, I don't, I, West Virginia is not winnable, but they could go to West Virginia and win that game. I even think Kansas is winnable, and I'm drawing. Oh, Oklahoma State's winnable. So I think that's the thing is 
I think if they can somehow, you know, they put the defense together against Oklahoma, not the offense. This game, they put the offense together, you know, minus the mistakes and the defense fell apart. It, it gives you the the belief if you can put it together on both sides of the ball. I mean, honestly, Oklahoma is probably the one team in the league and they don't play Texas that was better than you on the schedule. So I do think it would give you a fighting chance in your remaining seven games to go. They're all winnable games. You can win all of these. I don't know. They're not going to mind you, but they can. Yeah, at least it feels like the upside is there for this group. Yeah. I would agree with you on that. All right, and let's move on to Ohio State, number four team in the country. is coming off a bye after their win two weeks ago at Notre Dame. They're at home taking on Maryland this week, and it's getting, Maryland has been smoking everyone. They got Indiana 44-17 to last week. Of course, Ohio State beat Indiana 23-3 to in the first week of the season. So if you're comparing scores there, Maryland was more impressive in that matchup. Do you think there's any chance this Maryland team is legit and going to give Ohio State a run here? Um, I do. I think they're legit offensively. Um, I, I Listen, they're like an 18-and-a-half-point underdog, and when we get to the betting segment, it's going to be hard for me not to take Maryland in the points. You know, I, I'm just trying to figure out what is this Ohio State team, right? It, it feels like they've played winning defense. Not even feels like they have played winning defense literally in every game to this point, winning defensive performances. The offense, though, what is it? What are they? What are they hanging their hat on at the moment? What do they do consistently well against a decent team? I mean, yeah, they they did some great things against Western Kentucky, thanks in part to Western giving them some short fields, and they should dominate Western Kentucky up front, and they did. But what is this team offensively? I think that's fair, and if you're asking me, I would just say lean into that rushing attack as much as you can and rely on this defense because I do think the defense is elite. I think it's I even good enough to get them into. The, the playoff and potentially into a championship game. So I would just lean all into that side of things. It just be, be that type of team. But this will be a challenge offensively. I will promise you that this is a good Maryland offense is good. Talk about Lowe's brothers. Good. I think he is too. Uh, but I also would say this Maryland team feels very much like your classic who, who big 10 team of the year, right? I mean, this happens every year where they go, Oh no, this team's legit this year. They're, they're going to compete, and then they, they lose don't. by seven touchdowns. Fair, fair point. So I feel very much that way about this Maryland game here. All right, let's get into our betting segment. Last week, you were 3-3. Three and three. I was 3-3. Three and three. Of course, Ohio State didn't play, so we didn't have those uh, games to settle it. You are now 20-13-1 overall. I am 16-17-1 overall. And Skinny, you are on fire with your favorite bets of the week. Your last three have hit. Two of those being four-team teasers, including this one last week. You had Indy plus six and a half in the NFL, Philly minus one and a half, Chargers pick them, and Dallas pick them. Uh, another four-team teaser hits for you. You got to be feeling pretty good. I am feeling pretty good, and I'll have another four-team teaser here in just a bit. I'm going All back right. to the wall. All right, let's get into uh, the college game. Saturday at noon, we've got Maryland at Ohio State. Ohio State is a 19-and-a-half-point favorite. The total is 57. Yeah, um, I, I don't think you're going to sweat this as a Buckeye fan, um, but I also think that it's going to be well within the spread. I'll go Ohio State 27, Maryland 20. All right, so that is going to be Maryland and the under. Yes. I like the under here as well, especially with this Ohio State defense. I think because Maryland's offense has been good, that number is a little higher than it probably should be. I don't think Maryland's going to move the ball against Ohio State like they have been. I'm going Ohio State 35, Maryland 10. So on Ohio State in the under. And we move to Kentucky uh, Saturday at 7 o'clock. We've got Kentucky at Georgia. Georgia is a 14.5 point favorite. The total is 48 in that one. 
as a gambling man, this would scare you because it feels like they're just trying to reel you in with the hook, right? Like, yeah. hey, Kentucky, and, I, and I'm going to get reeled in because I think it's going to be a close game. I'm with you. It's it's. I'd love to pick Kentucky with both my head and my heart, but you know, nighttime in Georgia, they're still. I know they've shown some flaws this year, but they still have some dudes for sure, and they're still the number one team in the country till somebody proves otherwise. I think Kentucky makes them squirm. I really do because I think this defense will hold Georgia enough in check. I do think they'll get enough offense. It won't be an explosion, but you know th- this Georgia defense has shown some vulnerability. So I'm going to go Georgia 23, Kentucky 20. I think Kentucky plays them that tough. Oh wow! So that'll be Kentucky and the under for you. I'll, full transparency, I'm probably going to bet on Kentucky in this game because I want to root for them and I yeah. want to enjoy watching the game. But for the sake of our pick em here, I'm seeing exactly what you're seeing, which is the 14 and a half is totally a trap. They're trying to hook me in with that. I'm not buying it. I'm going to go on the other side. I'm going to say Georgia wins by 15. 28-13 is my final there, so I'm going Georgia in the under. By the way, Georgia has not covered a spread yet this I year. I know. It's great. It's four and one against the spread. And, and so. technically against because because a lot of places don't put the FCS game on the line. So against FBS teams are actually four and oh. They're the one game they didn't cover good was Eastern. Yeah, good point. Good point. All right. Sunday at 405 in the NFL. We've got the Bengals at the Cardinals. The Bengals are a three-point favorite here as we record this on Thursday. The total is 44 and a half. I, I I'm taking that this is going to finally be the Joe Burrow looks right game, at least looks better game. Um, another week of, of improved health, a full week of practice, he, unless he has a setback. I'm, we're doing this before the Thursday practice, but he, he practiced in full on Wednesday, talked to us after the practice, said he felt uh, as good as he's felt after after that and, and, and is optimistic about where things are heading. So I think the offense gets a little bit on track here in this one. I'm going to go Bengals 27. What was the total? 47-19. I'm going to go Bengals in the over. All right, Bengals in the over for Skinny. Um, look, I – I'm with you on the the side of the Bengals winning. I do think they will win this game. I hope the offense looks good, but I don't feel very confident about that yet. I just think they'll have enough to get past the Cardinals. I'm going to go Bengals 21-17, so Bengals in the under for me. Then finally, we have our favorite bet of the week, Skinny. I'm just going with a single game here. I'm taking Notre Dame over Louisville and the points, which is minus six and a half. I'm going to go with a 14 teaser again. I'm only going to do a six pointer this time. I'm going to take Buffalo down to basically a pick them at home against Jacksonville. I'm going to take Atlanta up to four and a half at home against Houston. I think that Atlanta game, honestly, I almost did it by my, as, as a single best bet. I know everybody's gaga about Houston at the moment, pump the brakes a little bit on that. They're still going to win five games and not be very good. In my opinion, I'm going to take Indy up to eight at home against Tennessee. And then I'm going to take, um, Pittsburgh at home against Baltimore up to 10. So that is my 14 teaser of the week. All right. So that's Buffalo down to a pick em, Atlanta up to four and a half, Indianapolis up to eight, and Pittsburgh up to 10. Skinny's four-team teaser. He's hit his last two teasers and his last three favorite bets. So uh, you, you make the decision. Either it's time to fade him because hey, it's bound to lose. <laughs> or he's time to fade. That's right. Uh, all right, real quick college basketball segment here because we've got a, a couple of big storylines with UK and one with Xavier. Kentucky and Indiana are going to restart their rivalry on the hardwood skinny. They'll play four games starting in the 2025-26 season. Two of those games are at Rupp Arena. One is at Lucas Oil Stadium, and the final one in 2028 will be at Assembly Hall. What are your thoughts on the Indiana-Kentucky rivalry coming back? 
I'm glad. I, I, I mean, listen, I, I know it's probably the old timers in the group like myself who, who grew up as this being a rivalry game every single year. Um, and I attended many of these. I, I didn't get, I never got to assembly hall, but I actually, when they used to have the big four thing with Notre Dame, Louisville, Kentucky, and Indiana, I did a cover a bunch of those in, 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 uh, Luke, actually in the RCA dome at the time, not even Lucas Oil Stadium is the old RCA dome for goodness sakes. Um, and, and as a student went to a couple of Kentucky, Indiana games at, at, at Rupp arena. So to me, this has always been a traditional rival and I'm glad it's back. I will give, I'll give Kentucky this. They got their way in the way this thing was laid out from a scheduling perspective. They technically got they, they got the two for one and then got a chance at a neutral site game, which which is always good on the resume, you know, for, for either team that wins that game. And I think Kentucky feels like it's probably going to win that game at the neutral site. So um, I'm glad it's back. Um, you know, Indiana does have to give some ground and they did uh, on this because again, they gave the, they literally gave up a two for one and then you know, basically two and a half to one and a half. So I, I think it's a win for Kentucky from a scheduling perspective there. They got what they wanted, but I, I'm glad it's back. I, I think traditional rivalries are, are, are important and always have been always will be. I mean, I, I'd love to see Xavier and Dayton find a way to play each other again. I, I do. I, those were always fun. I know you hate Dayton, but I, I think that's a, that's a it's an easy, great rivalry. And I wish it was back. Well, I, I also, I mean, well, before I say that, I should say this agreement kind of shows you where Indian, Indiana yes. is at as a program now. Yeah. I mean, the idea that they would agree to what is essentially a two for one for Kentucky is insane. I mean, Bobby Knight, I would love to get his thoughts on this <laughs> because there's no way in hell he would have ever agreed to do something like that. No question. Now, the other, comparing it to Xavier Dayton, I think, is not fair because, I mean, Xavier has progressed levels past Dayton to where it's like, I mean, I guess you could say Kentucky is – uh, superseded Indiana as a program as well, but they are both at the highest level of the sport. Dayton is still like a mid-major team in a mid-major conference. So, I mean, Fair, I I just, yeah, I'm, just, I'm just talking about from a rival. I, I just, I, I, I think geographic rivals are great. I, I wish there was more of them. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that at all. And uh, I just, the whole thing with this is I just couldn't stop smiling when I saw it. Like Cal got exactly what he wanted because Absolutely. he got a two for one. He made Indiana look like the smaller program. And he knows there is zero chance he'll be coaching Kentucky in 2028 right. when they go to Assembly Hall. Exactly. Right. No, good So he, he'll never play there. Uh, also, Zvonimir Avisic, the big Z. We talked about him maybe a month or so ago. Seven foot two overseas player from Croatia that Kentucky had got a commitment from. But then they couldn't get him admitted into school. He had to pass a duolingo test. And uh, I, I I believe he's passed that. And he is now admitted into school. That That's what everyone has reported. It also sounds like the expectation is he'll be cleared to play by the NCAA and will be available for the Cats this year. Uh, how big of a deal do you think this is, Skinny? Yeah, I think they need at least him or Bradshaw to be able to play. And we still don't know the Bradshaw injury status, right? So it, I think as long as you have one of these, now you got a chance to have both. Both and Trey Mitchell, holy cow. I mean, that becomes then potentially a top five team in the country. Maybe not even potentially. It does become a top five team in the country on paper. Yeah, I mean, Aaron Bradshaw did an interview with Cameron Mills last week where he talked about his injury, and he said he wasn't worried at all when it happened. He's not worried now. Like, he's all good. And he sounded very much like he expects to play this year now. Obviously, we know all of that can change, and there could be agents and everything else involved that start telling him about what's best for his future. But – it seems like they're probably going to have both of these guys, which I obviously gives you a ton of talent. It gives you a ton of size, two seven footers. And that's assuming you got on Yenso isn't coming back because right. he had surgery in the off season as well. Otherwise you'd have three, seven footers. I, I guess my question is we saw them go to Canada and play small ball with Trey Mitchell at the five and look, really good, look like a more modern offense that's moving the ball around, shooting more threes. Is there any concern that if you have both of these guys, 
Cal kind of reverts back and plays too many bigs. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. And, and I don't, you know, maybe if you do play both bigs, he has to swallow hard and play zone too. I, I, I it'll be fascinating because you're right. It was, it was kind of fun to see what they did, um, you know, on that trip and, and the way they kind of played offense. And, you know, you got this size. I mean, you're not going to not utilize it if it's skilled size, right? But does that then bog down everybody else and cut down driving lanes and all of those things? So I think it'll be fascinating to watch how these, uh, what he does and, and maybe the skill set. I don't know if Big Z can step out and shoot a bunch of threes. Maybe he is a pick and pop guy. I mean, seven footers are these days. I mean, Cal keeps acting like he is. He keeps saying he's an inside-outside guy that can shoot it from the outside. Well, he's never really let any of his guys do that in the past, even if they were that type of player in the NBA. They didn't tend to be that type of player at Kentucky. So we'll see if he really gives a a big man that type of freedom. But so far, he's saying all the right things in that regard. I'm, I'm fascinated by how this Kentucky season is going to play out, and it just keeps getting more interesting somehow. Then at Xavier, I mentioned there was some news uh, big man Logan Duncombe, who was a former Moeller player, went to Indiana for his first couple of years, then transferred to Xavier this offseason. He announced on Twitter, actually Wednesday night, that he has left Xavier's team for health reasons. He's not seeking to transfer. He's just done with basketball and, and going to take care of himself and remain a student at Xavier. Uh, what were your thoughts when you saw this, Skinny? Well, I mean, even when he transferred in, Rick, I, I thought he was still facing an uphill battle to play. I know he battled some 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 sinus stuff and had, I think, nasal surgery last year, and that kind of limited him a little bit. But he never really got his his footing under him at Indiana. Um, and, and I again, I, I don't want him to smirch a kid. I just didn't know if he was athletic enough to play at a high level. Um, and, and maybe he sees the writing on the wall too. Of listen, they've got all these guys they brought in. I don't even fit anywhere on the roster. And and do I want to just go put myself through all of this? to get a cup of coffee in eight games in the non-conference and never see the light of day in conference. And I'm, I'm wasting my time and it's a hard decision, but I mean, as you know, Rick, the commitment level to play at that level is so high that if your heart's not in it and you kind of see the writing on the wall um, you know, if, if you really can't commit to going through all of that, and I understand kids that opt not to um, then it's probably the best thing for him in the long run. Yeah, from a personal standpoint, you know, don't know what he's going through, but certainly right. hope he gets healed up and feels much better. From a basketball standpoint with Xavier, I, we saw them in the Bahamas, and he was kind of the last big man in the rotation, maybe even the last player in the rotation. Right. And that was before they added three new front court players from overseas in the last couple of months. So, yeah, I mean, I'm with you with the writings kind of on the wall. I can't imagine he was going to be an impact player or, or really see the floor much at all this year. So, don't think it matters a whole lot in terms of what it means for Xavier's team, but obviously uh, he had such a great career in high school at Moeller and, and uh, big things were, were expected. So it, it is kind of big news around this area. All right, let's get into some ask skinny, anything uh, skinny. The last few Ryder cups have been home team blowouts. Do you think there should be any changes to the format to make the matches more competitive? What did you think of the Cantley hat situation and the Rory caddy confrontation? And why are the euros always more likable? It is funny. They kind of are in a weird way. Um, the, the Cantley hat situation from every indication was completely overblown. Now, maybe it wasn't, but but everybody says it was completely overblown. And so that to me might have been the old game of, of telephone where something gets started that's erroneous and it goes like wildfire and everybody, it was on the web. So it's got to be true. Now, the Rory dust up was fascinating to me where literally uh, Shane Lowry had to shove him into the back of the courtesy car. Um but I would say, I mean, there was a little gamesmanship there of standing in the line. You know, he wanted to putt it. Let him putt. I mean, what, what is the – what are we doing there? How Are we five years old? I mean, honest to goodness, what are we doing there? Golfers and then to nerds. me, the, the, 
Yeah, and then back to the whole format. No, the format shouldn't change. That's what makes it such a special format. How about two of the best players in the world teamed up and Scotty Scheffler and Brooks Koepke don't get their doors blown off nine and seven? That's imp- That would be like me and my buddy who's a seven handicap going out and playing the club pro and the assistant pro, and yep, they beat us nine and seven. You got two of the best in the world losing nine and seven, man. I love it. All right, Skinny, is it harder to do a college or pro football teaser right now given the past two weeks? Um, yeah, I think college teasers are always hard because the, the spreads just can get haywire on you. The pro spreads, honestly, that's why I, I, I'm a big believer in, in, in like the home team that's getting a couple of points and you take them above a touchdown. That's usually gold. Not always. I mean, like Pittsburgh got blown out by Frisco at home in the opener, but that's usually gold in my opinion. So colleges, I think colleges are hard. I, I know you like taking some of those big numbers down, Rick, um, you know, the 20 some odd point spread yeah. down in the teens. And that's probably the safe way to do it. I don't have the guts to do that, so I don't do that. I don't even mess with it. Um, so, yeah, to me, to me, I don't even really mess with teasers in college just because it's just really, really difficult. I may do it on occasion if I got a rooting interest in a game and want to put it with another game, but, yeah, it's, it's hard. Yeah, a lot of times what I actually like doing in college is the the reverse teaser. Where I'll yeah, take, I know you do. Yeah, I'll I've take a team that that's before, a 17-point favorite and then move them up to 23 or something like that. Yeah, I think that that, that actually and – and the payoff for that's pretty good, and it doesn't yeah. t- it doesn't require, you know, a, a, an eight-teamer to do that. You know, a couple, three teams get you a pretty good payout. Yeah, exactly. I always think the NFL is just harder to bet in general, but if you're doing a normal teaser – I would lean NFL probably yeah. over college just because that's such a big advantage to have a touchdown difference in the, in the scores in the NFL uh, would skinny uh, here. We've got actually a little video. This was uh, from the Korean basketball league. Oh my. I, don't, I don't know if you saw this. I did not. These players, all these players on the Korean team were shooting over 80% or 85% or something like that. They're all banking them every shot. You see this Interesting. The whole team. The whole team just banks their shot. They figured something out that like, you know, I guess I don't think this is true. There's actually like scientists who have done experiments on this that says it's not optimal to try to bank your free throws. But these this whole team decided they're going to do it as a as a program and it's working, I guess. So would Skinny ever be willing to teach his kids to bank free throws? I think I would. I honestly think if a kid's having so much trouble you know, getting it over the front of the rim, um, you know, just just can't get I would. Yeah, I would say I would try this. This isn't a. Oh, I don't like these guys. They all shoot it over top of their head. I don't know how you hell you shoot that all arms. Do they even raise up? Not much. I mean, they're shooting that all with upper body, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, they're just hitting right in the middle of that square, and it's a pretty dead shot. I mean, nobody. It's funny. We, so we do a few drills, and we're going through some basketball stuff at the moment. Some shooting drills where you catch a ball on the wing, you rip, take a dribble, and shoot. And these like little ten footers, and we don't have a lot of makers. And I'm like, you know, there's a little square up there. And we have one of our assistants who played in college. I'm like, I'm like, coach, I don't even know what you did back in the day. I'm assuming you used the window and he shows off and makes like five in a row off the glass. I said, listen, I know he's a high level player, but he uses that, that window. It's there for a reason. It's a harder shot to shoot something straight in from 10 feet than at that angle to use the backboard. So use the backboard. It's, it's there for a reason. And obviously these guys have figured it out. Good for them. Skinny, here are the rules. You can pick one local media member to okay. attempt to hit a home run at Great American Ballpark. Ooh. If they do, you win one million dollars. Who are you choosing? I haven't played ball with many of these guys. I, I'm just going just because he was a college athlete. I'm going to go my man Caleb No from Channel Nine. He was a college kicker. <laughs> are you serious? I am. 
<laughs> okay. He, he was a college kicker. I saw him demonstrate that on the uh, news once after uh, yes. uh, after yes. McPherson missed a kick. And if he sees uh, this or hears this, he may come to me and go, dude, I can't play baseball a lick. Maybe he can. I don't know. I don't know. All right. See, so I, I would, I would, I, the problem is I would pick myself as a hitter. I just, even when I played, you can't get I was, I, I, I didn't have much power. Yeah. I, I, I just don't a, know. I mean, Caleb's not the tallest guy, right? I feel like you yeah, gotta have a little more length built, to get this thing out. He's pretty good though. All right. I just, who would you, I pick? feel like I'm someone over six feet. I feel like that's my thing. I feel like your average human Chances are the guys over six feet have a better chance of hitting a, a real home run than people under six feet. Maybe I'll go Rankle. Rankle's kind of jacked. Rankle is a, a bigger guy. Yeah. yeah. He's got a big upper body. But what we've lost a lot of the good athletes out of the, the local media. I think we have yeah. two, actually. Yeah, because we, we had a couple there for a few years where, you know, they had either played sports or at least they – even a guy like Johansson back in the day before he was – you know, Absolutely. he's a little up there in age, a bigger, stronger, more athletic-looking guy. We just don't have a lot in the local sports market. How about right I'll go Adam Clements? How about that? And not – yeah, well, yeah, he's a media member. They didn't say sports yes, media member. No, he did not say sports. Good point. So, oh, yeah, maybe we're maybe we're forgetting a non-sports guy. That would Correct. be good. Clements, Clements is a good option. He's pretty jacked. Yeah, he's pretty He likes jacked. to wear the uh, cut-off sleeve T-shirts, yes, too, to yes, show indeed. you. Yes, indeed. All right, uh, best – Worst stadium slash arena bathroom situations in Cincinnati all time. In Cincinnati? In Cincinnati. Man, oh man. This is coming from a Xavier guy, so I'm sure this is aimed at the Cintas Center bathroom. I, I, don't, hear just a disaster. I don't think they're a disaster at all. No, I just the hear what? it takes too long to get people in and it, out of them. It does because everybody's a drinker. I mean, that, that's, that's literally what it is. Everybody's a drinker. The line moves fine. I, I go to three or four Xavier games as a fan with a buddy of mine who's got tickets, so I – I've experienced that. That honestly doesn't – I've never gone, this situation sucks. I'm trying to think what would have the worst. You see football used to be a disaster with their concessions, but they've yeah, changed but they that, right? The, yeah, but they yeah. widened the concourses, and it's it's it's, it's significantly better now. Um, I haven't been there in a while as a fan, so it's hard for me to think about. I think the last time I was there as a fan I was watching a Cyclones hockey game. I'd have, Heritage has got to have a crappy bathroom situation at this stage of the game, doesn't it? Or whatever the hell it's called. I feel like they just have a lot, though. And I've not, here, well, here's the thing about Heritage. And I don't think I've ever. The situation's pretty good. Oh, it's great. But the, both of those situations, here's the thing about Heritage. I don't think I've ever been there when it's like packed, really. Maybe no, a cross down shootout, but. Yeah, but I'm going to guess it's old and stank and ugh. Oh, yeah. It's gross, I'm sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, NKU's bathrooms are great because there's never a line and they're still clean. It's fairly yes. new. So. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That, this That's a tough question. I didn't have as good of an answer as I would have thought for that. I don't. I can't think of any terrible bathroom situations. Now, I'll be honest. I haven't been in fifth surge since other than we, we practiced there for uh, when we were in the regional tournament. So I went there as uh, on the floor. I haven't actually been to fifth third. As yeah. There's is fine. We've done it. I'm sure it is. Yeah. Yeah. It was fine. Um, uh, the, I guess this one's aimed for me a little bit more grossness, power rankings for babies, spit up pee, and poopy diaper. How are you ranking those? Well, I had my goddaughter spit up in my mouth once, so that, that yeah, that was bad. I'm 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 still going to spit up because it's, a lot it's of times worst. it's reflex. It's not due to illness; it's just a reflex for them, um, and it just kind of comes out of nowhere. You know what you're getting with the poopy dot. You just know going in, and the pee is what it is. Yeah, I'm go- I'm going to spit up because you just sometimes you just don't know, and it's just you start to gag when you see it. 
Yeah, that well, and it smells weirdly yeah. terrible. Yeah. Uh, formula is a disgusting thing. It is. Formula is just utterly disgusting. Yeah, and the biggest thing is, like you said, you don't know when spit up is coming, so it right. catches you off guard. It might get your clothes, might get your face. Uh, the poop, you know, you know it's coming. You're it's going a, in. Yeah, you it is wear gloves it is. if you need to, but uh, unpopular opinion, maybe diapers are not near. They're I expect them to be way worse. They're not that. No, they're not. Yeah. yeah not I, I was, I was actually terrified initially at changing diapers, terrified. Yeah, and then once you do it, you're like, this ain't so bad. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, I just, honestly, if he's not crying, I'd change diapers all day. I don't care. And, and I will say the empathy of it, of, of like, you know, they just done something like I wouldn't want to be sitting in that stuff either. Oh you yeah. Know? I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do you a quick solid and get, get you out of that thing. Exactly. That's a, I, I totally agree with that. Uh, what type of youngster was skinny? Did he get in trouble a lot or was he a good kid? I was, I was honestly a good kid. That, 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 that's, I was almost kind of a nerdy good kid to be quite frank. I, I will say that I got arrested one time in my, in my, in my youth, uh, <laughs> my, senior, my senior year of high school. I, I didn't do it, but I was in a car. It was my car. We smashed a couple of mailboxes in Villa Hills and, and got caught. I mean, that's not even that makes you a bad person or anything, yeah. but that's just a hilarious way to to say all of that. I was actually a good kid. I, I, was. I only got arrested once in my. So, so here's here's another one though. So, probably once a summer because I had this really nice. You know where I live. I had yep. a, a nice, pretty good size basketball. Um, we had a basketball thing set up, and actually, the way my driveway was was built. Um, it was a perfect, you could play five on five, almost like a, almost a full half court is what it would amount to. You could get a good five on five game in, in our neighborhood. And we had kids from other neighbors who would come in. So about once a summer, we would all play basketball until the wee hours. Then we all sleep in my backyard, just kind of what you did, whatever. So one night we actually were, were, uh, we were drinking, but we were drinking down the street at somebody else's house. And lo and behold, we didn't do this, but somebody else did. We didn't even hear it. Somebody shot a BB through the front window of the house that we were in the people weren't home but somebody heard it well the cops come and we all scatter because we're thinking they're coming for us because we're underage drinking we we're all stupid well back then the Crestview Hills Mall was being built so a bunch of us went and hit out up there for for a while unfortunately one of the dumbasses decides to run back to my backyard and hop in a sleeping bag and a cop comes up and puts a gun to his head and says don't you move I'm gonna wait for your buddies and so, you know, we thought the coast was clear. We all come back. And, of course, there's my dad with the cop. And that got ugly. And I had to ride all the guys home with him. So that really wasn't me. It wasn't even us. We were wrong place, wrong time. And nothing really even happened to us other than the cop made my dad take everybody home, which, of course, he was not pleased about. So, yeah, I mean, two minor incidences. I don't think those are all that major. Other than that, I was a good kid. No, yeah, that sounds that sounds right. I, I see you being, and this is probably how I was described, as kind of Eddie Haskell. No, like, I really wasn't. Oh really? Like no. I, I was, I was good with all the parents. I was a suck up to teachers and all that. Well, stuff. I sure was but, that. Yeah, but then I was like running my mouth. Yeah, as soon as we went out to recess or whatever, I was talking all types of smack. So yeah, I, I really, I know that wasn't me. It really wasn't. You didn't run your mouth a lot as a kid I when you were like playing with your buddies and stuff. I, I thought you'd have been a crap talker nope. for sure. Nope. All right. Uh, the last one here is, and we never do politics on this show, and we're Uh-oh. not doing politics now, but okay. Does Skinny have an opinion on the short pants movement making it to Congress? If it's about short pants, we do have to do it. So, Representative, do you support Trump's call to shut down the government? He has not called me, and I do not, I do not support you wearing black socks with short pants. <laughs> what do you think about good. the short pants and black socks look? Are can't, you <laughs> can't do it? I mean, I don't even like, I don't even like footies that go above like the shoe line. 
I mean, yeah. I like the footies that just are at the shoe line, right? No so, yeah, 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 I, I, I can't do those. And what's that? That, that is, that is, that is extraordinarily nerdy, in my opinion. You do not support him wearing those black socks and the short pants. What's that? That was a great answer, by the way. <laughs> yeah, that really was pretty, pretty good for a Congress member. Very well done. Yes. All right, that's all we got, Skinny. All right, great stuff as always. Appreciate the questions. Keep them coming. We'll be back next week. Will Kentucky be six and zero? Will the Bengals? Win a second game. Will Joe Burrow stay upright? We got to feel like a soap opera here at the end. We got a lot next week's plate. We haven't even got there yet. We'll be back one week from today with those answers, hopefully, with more opinions. Thanks for watching. It's been the Skinny Podcast and listening. Skinny Podcast with Rick Boring. I'm Richard Skinner, presented as always by Blake, the attorney.